How you guys doing? Good morning. I like that. Welcome to Rethink Church. We are glad you're here this morning. My name is Roland, and I'm one of the leaders here. If you are new with us, if you're a visitor, we would love to get to know you, connect with you, hear your story. So there's a couple ways you can do that. You can meet us in the uh, guest services area. We have a gift for you. Gummy worms? Gummy worms. You know, all the needs? Yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, and they're fresh. So. Uh, or you can text 219-233-2311. We would love, again, to hear your story, uh, to connect with you, and uh, let you be known here at Rethink. We had a blast here Friday. If you were here Friday for Christmas in the Bill, we have a couple pictures. We were in the Christmas spirit. So we have a couple pictures from Friday. That is, yeah, look at his height right there. Oh, uh, we had karaoke. It was a good time. Photo booth. We had all kinds of stuff going on. So it, it was a great time, Friday. If you were here, we had millions and millions of families come to Green Countless number. I don't it was all, this place was packed. So it was it was really all the popcorn was gone, so all the hot chocolates. It was it was a good night. Um, so I want to encourage you guys, we invited those people who came, we invited them to come back for our Christmas Eve service. So we have um, we have some little cards in the back. If you guys could take two or three of those cards and pray over someone you know and invite them and give them this card, we would love for them to come on Christmas Eve and, and worship with us as they prepare for the, uh, Christmas Day with their family and friends. The cards are right in the back there. Um, and we're going to move to a time where we talk about our tithe and offering. So if you're new with us, you can take a break. We're not, we're not going to dig deep in your wallets right now. <laughs> but later we're coming up. <laughs> tithe and offering. The, the, the reason we get to do a lot of what we do here at Rethink is because you guys are so giving. You are so obedient with the, the money that God gives you, the careers, the jobs you have, um, surrendering that back to God. That's why we get to do a lot of the things we do here. So there's a couple ways you can give. Uh, you can write a check or give cash to the uh, black box there in the back, or you can go to rethink.cc and click the Give tab, and that's another way to give. And um, again, uh, your obedience and surrender of your wallet to God is why we get to have joy when we do certain events here at Rethink, so we appreciate that. And we also have adopted um, eight students from the Maryville schools so these are, these are students who may be less fortunate or students that we could just, we have the opportunity to bless this Christmas. And personally, I was, I was one of those kids uh, growing up. I had church people buy me gifts growing up or we weren't gonna have gifts. So, and I still remember those church people. And so it means a lot. So these, these students, there's uh, eight names out there. If you guys would like to adopt one of those students and make their Christmas a little brighter, God, put a smile on God's face, right? <laughs> so, and, and their faces. So we appreciate that. And we're preparing for the Christmas season. So we're going to talk about some of our favorite gift, uh, gifts we got for Christmas. My wife got me a, a beat machine. I love music and like making beats. And there's this thing where it's just, it's just making beats and has pads and all this stuff. Well, if you're into that, I love it. So that's so much fun, man. It was a shock because I did not think she was going to get it. Um, 
put on the credit card, though. You know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to have Taylor and Carson come up right now. And they're going to share some of their favorite Christmas gifts. So my name's Carson. Hi, Carson. Um, <laughs> so my favorite Christmas present that I've gotten was probably, my parents get us nutcrackers every year. Like the, I don't know, but it's been a tradition for what, like eight, eight years probably. So that's my favorite Christmas gift that I get every year. Taylor. Perfect timing. God is here, people. Hi, everyone. So my favorite Christmas present was a guitar that my dad got me. Because growing up, I was really into music. Um, I love singing. I have a clarinet. I play the piano. And uh, he heard me talking about it one time. And he said, well, he didn't say, but he delivered it to my house. And I was really surprised because I had never gotten a gift from him before. Mm. Um, it was just like cards and we called and stuff. <laughs> no, no, sorry. So <laughs> I was ready. So um, it just showed how much he loved me and how much he cared for me because he had saved up all of his money just to give me that gift. And it meant a lot to me and I still have it today. So that's my favorite gift. Thank you guys. Give them a round of applause. So we're going to move into our message time, and we just uh, pray that you guys open your hearts and minds to what God has in store for you this morning, and lean into the message Mark has. started our church. Um, our family moved from Michigan, and we just said, hey, let's start a church in a community of zero people, and that sounds like a great idea. So uh, we did that, and uh, it's been a great time, and Christmas in the Bill has been one of those fun things that we've done, and I don't know if you guys knew, like, this whole thing of COVID happened, and we were like, we had to put our pause and all that, and so we've been doing this, and so part of what we've uh, jokingly talked on the last couple weeks is that we're going to do, uh, as we get ready for Christmas, we're going to talk about Jesus and prepositions. Um, because I know a lot about English and grammar. And not. I don't even care about the rules of stuff. So um, I'm just like, 
why does it have to be there? Why, where, where does the comma really go? And all that. So, but what I've been really working through is this idea of prepositions and how that matters and how we interact with God really does crucially matter. I don't know about you, uh, but you've probably seen this kind of an image before about the idea that uh, we're all on this mountain, we're all on different paths and stuff like that, you know, put that first one up. Uh, and then we just kind of walk through this. So whenever I meet with somebody, when I first, when we first met with people uh, and here in Maryville, we just sit down and I literally would buy people cups of coffee and just talk about faith in Jesus and spent a lot of time at Starbucks, so it was a lot of time at other places. Um, and I realized I couldn't get into like the in-depth stuff, so I had to learn how to take the faith, like the truths and the real like conversational things and draw them into napkin, what I call napkin theology. And so this is one of those things that we talk about. They'd be like, well, isn't all faith going up the same mountain? And so I, we've all probably seen this or heard this analogy before. And so what I like to do is I would draw this whole thing out and then I flip it upside down. And here's why, because I don't think we're all on the same path and ending at the same spot. I think we're starting at the same spot, but we're gonna end differently. Here's why, here's what I mean by that. This world is a dangerous world. All the way back, back to prehistoric stuff, all the way uh, like ancient, ancient humans, we've realized this is a dangerous world. And because it's dangerous, we're afraid of it and we have fear. And when we have fear, what do we try to do? Control it. We try to protect ourselves, we try to control our environment, and all of that. Because it's dangerous, we're afraid, and because we're afraid, we want to control it. And so we create systems in place to say, how do we actually control all these things? And this is where world religions come into play. When you have a drought, what do you do if you're in the ancient world, and you think the gods control everything about your livestock, your rainfall, and all that? You make sacrifices to those gods or that goddesses, right? And so, you do all that. You try to prepare. You try to, like, when you plant the seeds, you're, you're sacrificing all these things and all this. <coughs> and so, you're trying to manipulate and to control things because this world's a dangerous place and you want to make sure you're taken care of, right? And so, you have this vicious cycle. So, I don't think we start, I don't think we're going up the wrong, the same mountain, we're going to end at the same spot. I think we're starting at the same spot and we're going to end in different places. The God in, that you find in different religions are not, is not the same God you find in the Bible, right? And different gods and all these other things. But the reason that we've come up with these systems and all this, and by the way, we now just have different titles for these things. Have you noticed this? Like the recession-proof way of living your life and like, like all these random things. Like you should have five years of food supply in your garage and all this other stuff. Like, yeah, you should prepare to eat five years worth of stuff. I'm not sure, right? And if those cans have been expired for 10 years, just throw them away, because that's weird. Uh, when I show up at my relative's house and they have these bunkers, basically, I'm like, seriously, dude, like you need to step away from whatever news channel you're watching. Um, but like some of us do this, right? Or we have these like, the best way to advance your career. Why do you need to advance your career? Why? Because you want to control it. You want to make sure that you're the one in charge of all these things. So it may be, the ancient world may have been like this, but we have the same ideology behind it. We just change it differently. And the way that we approach God or Jesus during the season is completely influenced by prepositions as well. And so I don't know about you, Beth, just ask me, are you going to play the Schoolhouse Rock Knock? Next week I'm going to find it. This week I was a little busy. So we're going to show what prepositions are based on Schoolhouse Rock, right? And so, but I remember this, the, analogy, the illustration my, my teacher, whoever it was, probably Miss V, Miss Van Vector, in fourth grade said, it's about a squirrel and a tree. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but the way that the squirrel can be on the tree, in the tree, over the tree, all that, 
That's the real idea of prepositions, read. And so, we're going to look at different ways that people have approached interacting with Jesus based on preposition, and we're going to see if we miss out on it. I think the best example that we can find for the Christmas story is a, is a story that Jesus himself taught or shared. One day he was talking, and he was trying to give an example of what grace is and what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he's talking with a bunch of different people. He talks about a lost coin. He talks about um, some other, like, lost sheep. And then he ends it with this one major story called the prodigal son, which I think we would mislabeled. I don't have time to get into why we mislabeled it, but it is what it is. And so Jesus tells the story that in this culture, the younger son goes to the father. He's pretty wealthy, and he says, hey, dad, I want my inheritance now. So the father, who lovingly does this, gives them the inheritance. Now, it doesn't take rocket science. An inheritance, when do you normally inherit something? When that person dies. So what's the younger son telling the older, the father? You're dead to me. This would have been shocking to the community, the original audience. We don't necessarily understand it because we don't live in an honor-shame culture. We're not we're in Western world. We're not in Eastern world. And 2022 is not the same as the century. Right? So there's some cultural differences there going on. <clears throat> but when Jesus was telling the story, there would have been a gasp in this moment. And especially when the father said, yeah, let's do this. He divides the inheritance, he gives it to him. And the younger son goes off to this foreign land and he just squanders away his stuff. He, he buys prostitutes, he's doing all this other stuff, he's having parties, and then the drought hits. And then he hires himself out to be a hired hand on a farm. And he's sitting there, and he's just feeding the pigs. Which, by the way, like a Jewish person feeding pigs is like, it would have been scandalous when Jesus said that. And so he's looking at this saying, man, I, like, my, my father's hired hands eat better than this. So he starts his way back. And he starts his speech on the way back. I don't know if you've ever been in trouble, and you have to go confess something. And you want to make sure you get that speech down correctly, right? Like, I remember one time, I was going to have to tell my mom something. I remember I was going to, I'm going to do my very best to shed a tear at this moment, right? Like, and I was like trying, I just couldn't do it. I just like could not figure out how to do it. And so she saw right through. No, but we've all probably been in those scenarios, right? Where you've really screwed up and now you've got to confess it and you've got to somehow build these bridges. And this is what the younger son does. And so he walks back and he's going back to the father and he's saying, like, he's rehearsing this whole thing. God, like, God, or Father, I don't even deserve to be like this. I've said against you in heaven. I've done all this other stuff. And can you just hire me back as a hired hand? Right? And so he's rehearsing this and he's walking. And the father is watching from his property. And he sees this younger son from a long way off. And the father does something that will scandalous in his own right as well. He picks up his tunic and he starts running. A young, an older gentleman would have never ran in this culture. Gentlemen with wealth and gentlemen with honor and prestige, they walk. They almost glide through the, the crowds. They would have never put effort into running. Servants run. Slaves run. Those are the people in a hurry. They rush because I can walk. Does that make sense? Like That's the mentality here. So here's this, young, this father just running after the younger son, and he embraces him. And the younger son's trying to get the speech out. And the dad's like, screw it, no. <laughs> Put the ring on, give him a robe, probably take a bath because you stink like a pig, all that. But then we're going to kill this fattened calf and we'll throw the party, right? And so that's what he has his servants do. And so he does this. And as the party's going on, the older son comes in. And he hears, like, this party music and all this other stuff. And he asks the servant, what's going on? And the servant's like, hey, your younger son, your younger brother's back. 
And so your dad decided to throw a party. And because of all of that going on, the older son is like so mad. He's like, I'm not even going in. And so the father comes out to the, young, to the older son. And he said, dude, your, your, bro, your, your brother was dead. He was lost, and now he's found, and all this other stuff. And we had to celebrate. And he's like, I'm not doing it. I've done everything you've ever asked me to do, and you've never given me even a goat. I don't know what you're going to do with a goat or whatever, right? And so this older son is like kicking a feet. He's throwing a full fit. He's like, I want a goat, Daddy, and you never gave me a goat, right? <laughs> and so all of a sudden, here we are. And so we're going to look at this, and I think this epitomizes how we look at God during, especially the holiday season. For me, what we see is four, four postures that Christians and people exploring faith can look at how we view God. And the older son looks at him from a different thing. We'll talk about him next week. The younger son is looked at the posture of he thinks he's over the father. He doesn't need the father at all. That he can just interact with him however he wants to. He can tell the father, hey, I don't need you and your rules. I don't need anything like this. But both sons miss the gift that the father's offering. Both sons miss it. It's obvious in the, in the younger son. It's not so obvious in the, in, sorry, in the older son. It's not so obvious there. But what we end up doing here is we just look for this, these four postures. One is over, one is under, the other one is for, and the other one is from God. How we actually interact with God matters. And the gift that the, that the Father is offering in the parable that Jesus tells is the same gift that God is offering us at the Christmas story. That God actually wants to do life with us. He doesn't want us to be under, or over, or for, or from, but to be with. In this Christmas season, I'm just going to encourage you, learn how to do life with God. And the younger son, man, he just screws this whole thing up, and it's fairly obvious. The older son can get away and looks nice and clean and crisp. And from the outside, he got it all figured out, right? But from the inside, it's not necessarily the case. And so, uh, if, if we were to ask, like, what is the gift of Christmas? What would you actually answer? Christ. Christ, Jesus, all that, right? For most of my life, I've always answered so I get out of hell and go to heaven. I've always answered it that way. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, that's how the gospel, the message of Jesus has always been portrayed. I want my ticket out of heaven. And I just want to go spend my time with Jesus, the pearly gates, the golden streets, and all that kind of stuff, right? And so what I've learned over the last few years or so is that the gospel itself the message of heaven is not really the, the end goal but to be with Christ is and that's why he shows up whenever we approach it through a religious system what we're trying to do is we're trying to control God so that he does what we want him to do we're going to go through certain situations like a vending machine you guys remember these old school vending machines where you put your dollar in and then you press in a letter and a number some of you are like what's that look it up step outside of Amazon Prime and all that kind of stuff, right? Like, there's other ways of getting things, right? And so you have to fight with that little dollar and all that. And so this is kind of how religion works, that we show up and we do our thing, and then God gives us what we want. And it makes us feel good. So what do we do? Constantly do. We do more of the same rituals. We expect more of the same return. And the cycle continues. And then when it doesn't re repeat itself, other people chime in. Maybe your faith isn't big enough. Maybe you just need more sacrifice, more whatever. You fill in the blank, right? That's how the world religion approaches this whole concept. Even 
parts of Christianity will say that. Yeah. These veins of Christianity can kind of say, well, this is how it all works. And so for us, man, I just realized that, that we could easily look into um, how we just approach these next few weeks, especially the Christmas season, and say, Jesus, how can I approach this to be with you? How can I show up to my workplace to be with you? How can I do these next however many days? I don't know how many days you have in Christmas. It's on our Christmas as well. A website but I don't know what it says probably 10 or so whatever it is now I don't know um, but uh, we just have to constantly use if we've been ex- if we've been following Jesus and we don't find the joy of following Jesus maybe we should check our motives maybe instead of saying God I want these gifts from you these things from you you might actually get an experience life with me and I'm not saying that Christianity should be all pie in the sky and happy clappy crap like that but there should be moments of joy. Does that make sense? There should be moments where you're like, yeah, I can actually experience this. Even in the depths and the sadness and the struggles of life, you should still experience some kind of joy. Happiness and joy are not the same thing, by the way. And so we need to understand that. I got to have an up-close personal example from this, from my older sister, Marie, who just always spent, like, she, we had a great relationship. She basically, like, my mom worked three to four jobs because my dad wasn't around. And so, Marie's six years older than me, so she would basically raise us. If Marie told me not to do something, I'd usually listen to her. When my mom told me not to do something, I just went out and did it anyway, because I was like, what are you going to do, right? So, Marie and I had this good relationship, and I just got to watch her and kind of model certain things. Marie had suffered miscarriages, and just the way that she would handle that, that response to it, or that, that, the time after it, was just amazing. And, she, and so, she would say these things. She would be like, I want to go spend time with my dad, which does not mean I hurt the dad. She was going to her room, and she was going to literally spend a day, two days, whatever it would be, and just pray and be with God and hang out with him for a while, doing whatever she wanted, and I had no clue what she did. But then, she had like four or five other kids at that time, so she would come out, and she would hang out with her family and stuff like that, and provide. And then, even towards the end of her life with terminal cancer, just watching her just not want to be with God so that she could heal, but want to just be with God. The last 48 hours, the last 72 hours of her life, just watching her, just sit, like, just sit on this couch with my dad. That's how she would talk. And I remember the last time I talked to her, she was like, I'm just mad. I just want to heal, but I also want to be with my dad. Yeah. And I'd get a glimpse on this earth, but I'd get the bigger picture whenever I leave here. Yeah. And up to that moment, I was just like, oh. I'm watching you not not walk with God so you get healed, but walk with God just to be with God. Does that make sense? Yeah. And a lot of times we could easily approach Jesus as he's the treasure map. Instead of he's the actual treasure. Does that make sense? What if we actually approach Jesus as God, you're the gift. And if we get that beat drum, if we get you know, the nutcrackers and the guitar, and get all this other stuff. I remember the Nintendo, uh, original Nintendo was our Christmas gift. Mm-hmm. My brother and I had to share it, uh, and then the whole family had to share this one TV, and so it was the best Christmas gift ever, because my brother and I outvoted my sisters, because they couldn't be <laughs> in stuff, and so we could be, like, we could play this whole time, and then one, I think we had it for like a year and a half, and then my brother and I had this challenge, this is a whole side note, by the way, uh, and we had this challenge, we were going to play Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, and we are going to do this like to see as long as we could go into the whole progress without getting knocked out. Not beat, but knocked out. And I was at the like time fighting Mike Tyson with whatever that character is. 
uh, and my sister Stephanie came out with a hammer and bashed the Nintendo. Oh, because we had consumed the TV for like days. Wow. And she was like, I want to watch a soap opera. And I was like, I almost beat Mike Tyson. Uh, but anyway, so that was the end of it there. So she's also stabbing in the back with a knife. It's fine. <laughs> so as a gift, this is like, well, as a gift, Stephanie gave Heather a, a pair of knives or set of knives and said, just in case you need it. <laughs> she wasn't talking about food. So <laughs> that was awesome. Um, now I have to find myself in my notes. So, <laughs> all right. So if we look at the Christmas story, we easily can see an example of life over God. Whenever you see, uh, and so Paul, looking back into the Christmas story, he says this in Galatians, he says, the fullness of time, God sends Christ as the gift, right? He sends him in there, he wants to redeem and restore and all this other stuff. And so think about this, he sends Christ as the gift in the fullness of time. Um, I don't know if you've ever tried to think through, like, how do you actually get something, right? Like, something new. And so if you break it down, you have three phases of this. The first phase is that you're dreaming and you're thinking about it and stuff like that. Carson is uh, in the process of trying to buy his first car. And so he is in the dreaming stage. He is looking at it on the app. Every time he's in the car, he's looking through apps. He's like, man, can I afford this one? Do you think this is a good car? All this other stuff. He's in that dreaming stage. If you bought your first car, you know what that process is like, right? You don't waste your money, but you know you can't get a brand new car, so you're looking for a decent first car that you don't have to like literally hold together with duct tape and rubber bands and stuff like that, right? So that's what he's in. He's looking at this process. He's dreaming about it. Think about any other process that you've looked gift you've gone through. How do you dream about it? What does it look like? And all that. And then the second phase of this is where he's going to acquire it. He doesn't have the money he needs right now to buy a car, so he's working a job to save the money so that at one point he can do this and he's going to purchase it, right? And then what if he just bought it and then put it in our driveway? Is that actually experiencing the gift? Not really, right? So the next part of this is the experiential part where you actually interact with it. My mother-in-law has like four sets of pans and plates because she doesn't want to overuse them. And I'm like, this is a lot of mental space for you, right? Uh, when it comes to pans, like I'll, I'll try to go cook something. She's like, oh, don't use those pans. Those are too pretty. And I'm like, isn't that the point of whatever it's your house right like so it is what it is right but some of us we we buy these things we dream about it we buy it but then we put it away we don't actually experience it right god himself dreamt of the day that he would be with us since genesis 3 we've screwed this good earth up we've allowed we unleashed evil in our action of sin we thought we could do this whole life without just like the younger prodigal son we thought we do this life without him so we did all this and so God put in a plan to get his good earth back. We are part of that good earth. So he dreamt, dreamt about it, and then he paid the price we could never pay. At the fullness of time, Christ was sent to this, to this earth, and as a baby, he exemplifies everything cute and fuzzy and all that, and bubbly that we all feel about it. But at some point, he's going to end up on the cross. He's going to pay the price that we could never pay. His blood will be shed and cover the sin and forgive us and remove the sins from us as well. And he's going to save us from the wages of sin, which is death and hell and all of that, but he's going to save us to life with him. And it just happens to be in heaven, right? And so he's going to save us to that. And so part of that process is he's going to experience life with us. And this is part of that process we do. When you look at the Christmas story and you see 
the words and for the fullness of time, the fullness of time meant that Israel was being ruled by Rome by this puppet king called King Herod, or Herod the Great. Herod the Great thought he was over God as well. He did not think he had the answer to God at all. This is why he has no qualms about literally killing every two-year-old or younger in Bethlehem. Because he just did it. What's the big point? Right? So when you read through that story, that's one glimpse. All the, all the original audience would have had to do is read that and say, oh, Herod the Great. Herod the Great is a guy who overtaxed him to the point where uh, he had enough resources that he redirected the, in, in this place called Masada. He redirected, which is a hanging fortress, he redirected all of the water for 100 miles to, so that when the flash floods happened, it would all hang out and just flow down into Masada. He had over 4 million gallons of water in the middle of the desert so he could last for 10 years on this mountain. In pre, pre like first century time. Does that make sense? He also wanted a mountain where there wasn't a mountain. He said, well, God, you didn't make the mountain, so I'm going to put this mountain here. He called it Herodium. If you want to throw the picture, it's like the aerial. Yep. And so here's Herodium. When Jesus is with his disciples in Jerusalem, you can see Herodium. I was there and I saw it. This is like prior to any trucks and stuff like that. He fills this mountain. I think when Jesus is looking at it and saying, hey, give me faith and mustard so you can tell this mountain to go and throw itself in the sea, he's looking at Herodium. He built this castle up there so that if he ever had to flee, he would hang out there and he'd be there. Mark Anthony, when he's in Egypt, he's that whole thing with Cleopatra and all that. Mark Anthony flees and he goes to Herodium. This relationship that he had here with uh, Herod the Great and stuff like that. Herod the Great was this fascinating person because he's on the edge of the Roman Empire. Israel itself is like this neutral territory in a sense. The people of Israel didn't really care about Rome. They also really didn't care about the other uh, empires of the Parthian Empire. And so these two empires would fight over Israel. The reason they would fight over Israel is because it would control their trade routes that connected three different continents. And so Herod the Great always thought, oh, I have to protect myself. The world's a dangerous place. There's a lot of enemies. He got afraid from it. So he learned how to control this. He created all these systems to help control everything around him. And so when the Magi come from the East, they're coming from the Parthian Empire, this is why it throws everybody in Jerusalem in an uproar. These enemy people, people from the enemy states, are coming in there and they're saying, hey, where's this king that just, was just born? It throws everybody in, into this uproar. Herod the Great controlled the majority of all these uh, trade routes, and so he could tax it, he could do whatever. He also had this plant, and this is fascinating, and learned something in Israel today, but he had this plant that he was only, uh, only, like create or whatever it's called, uh, grown in Israel, and it was a plant that was the pre-Viagra, I'll put it that way. <laughs> and so wealthy, wealthy Romans would literally pay thousands of millions of dollars for a pound of this stuff. And they would export it everywhere they could throughout the Roman Empire. All to Whatever. You know what I mean? So there's that. So these people are dealing with it, and he's like, dude, if you're gonna if you're going to pay for it, I'll sell it to you whatever price I want. Right? So here's that. And so he's dealing all this, and he would just look at this and say, Okay, God, if you didn't if you didn't redirect all the water routes that I want, I'm going to. If you didn't put the mountain there, I will. This king is born, I'll just kill all the two-year-olds are under. Because I'm over you. I don't need you. We have a generation that likes to rewrite natural ways of life. 
you need you need to create me this way, I want to be created this way. You need to do this, and, and there is part of it, we get to create, we get to like explore, we get to do all this other stuff, but you don't get to rewrite the whole history and stuff like that. That's part of this process. If we want to look at the life under God, all we have to do is look to 2010, uh, there's this this guy named Steve Johnson, and he was in a playoff game, it was the Buffalo Bills and the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates, or sorry, yeah, I mean, Pittsburgh Steelers, and they're playing, and it was a game-winning catch that Steve Johnson had in his hands in the end zone, and he drops it. And here's the tweet he puts, puts out there. He says, I worship you for 24-7, for which, did you really worship God 24-7? Probably not, but we're not getting into that, right? And he says, this is how you do me, right? You expect me to learn from this how? I'll never forget this, ever. Thanks, though. He blames God for dropping the ball. What his mentality is, God, I do everything I can to follow you, and you can't even bless me. We would never blame God this much, right? Or this publicly. We would never say, God, I've done everything right, and I still lost my job. And it has to be your fault. Because somehow you're punishing me. God, I've done all of these things, and I still have this disease. God, what am I doing wrong? I'm doing all these things. I'm worshiping, I'm tithing, I'm doing showing up and I'm doing all the rituals, loops and all this other stuff. I'm putting my life under your under your law, under your well, but under like way of life. And what am I expecting? Good things and everything else is good right. And the wind's way off me. Right? This is this is the life under God. This is a little bit more tricky done to identify with and say, okay God, am I missing this? Because God doesn't want us to be under him or over him. He wants to be with us. That's the gift of Christmas. So as we approach this, I just want you to encourage encourage you. Don't try to be under. Don't try to be over God. Yeah. Learn how to be with God. Mm-hmm. And if you're that prodigal son where you said, screw you, God, I don't need you, this is why he sent Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that he could be with you. That was my story. I just said, I don't really need you. I'm just going to do the life on my own. And all of a sudden, 17, God was like, no, let's do this together. And from that moment on, I've not been perfect or anything. But any job that I've had, I wouldn't wake up and say, God, here I am. I don't know what kind of job I'm going to do today, but can you just do? Can I just do this with you? Can I just experience life with you as I show up and I do this thing, or go through whatever it is? Even down to when I was cleaning toilets when I was in college, I was like, I, don't, I want to do this with you and see how I can glorify you in this moment. It's very challenging to learn how to glorify God as you're cleaning the crap off of a toilet because some other adult couldn't figure out how to clean that up. Right? Come on. It was worse when I worked at other jobs. I was like, seriously, like, God, I don't know how I'm going to, like, partner with you to do this. When we started our church here, I would sit down with people and sit across the coffee shops and stuff at the table of coffee shop and say, hey, I don't know, because we had to raise money to get here. It wasn't just like, it wasn't like a lottery ticket that I won. I was like, yes, let's go do this. No. So I'd raise money. And I would raise money with people saying, hey, I have no clue what God has in store for me people in Maryland and stuff like that. But I do know that God is calling us there to partner with God in whatever he's doing. So whatever he has in store for us, I think you should be part of it too. And uh, just take your money right now. Uh, and stuff like that. And so we exist now because people did that. Yeah. People people are like, absolutely, here's a check. $20,000. Here's a check, $5. You know what I mean? Like, And it was like, okay, God, we're partnering with a wide, grand, wide scheme of things. And it's just saying, God, we're so blessed that you want to partner and you're drawing people to partner with you. 
And if you could just look at it and say, God, I want to partner with you in this season. And I want to do life with you, whatever that means. And say, and when I show up to this job, God, I, want, I don't want to do it for you. I don't want to do it from you. I want to do it with you. I want to walk the halls of whatever this job is. I'm just sitting at my desk, and I, God, I want to just live life and, and work with you. Not so that I can create my own empire, but I can advance your kingdom with my efforts. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be completely countercultural. But this is the gift that God offers to us. And if you're searching that, what does it look like to do life with you and with God and all this? It starts with us admitting our sins. It starts with us admitting that we actually need saved from something. And so we confess our sins to God. It starts with believing that Jesus is who, Christ, who the Bible says he is. Yeah. And then we commit our ways to his life. It doesn't mean that everything in your life is going to be perfect and all is right. It just starts the journey. But it changes how we, how we view things and how we explore. We're going to pray. I don't least we're also going to lead us in worship and then we'll wrap up the service. God, thanks for this day. Thanks for who you are. God, thanks for everything you've done for us. And God, for some of us, we may think that we are over you, but we don't actually need to follow you. And the reality of it is, God, that you've set systems in place. And the universe is ran by the rules and the systems that you put in place, and we cannot actually challenge that. The harsh reality of humanity is we actually can't create anything. We can reproduce things, and we can put certain things together, but we're not taking something out of nothing and creating something new. There's absolutely no way to be over you. So God, would you change our hearts and our mindsets toward you? And if us, any of us in here are just running and fleeing and just trying to get away from you, God, would you just open our eyes to see where you're moving and open our ears to see how you've blessed us? And God, for some of us, we're just trying to live life and just be under you. And we're going to do everything we possibly can so that we can control the outcome and just get you to do whatever you need, we need you to do to bless us. God, would you watch over us? Would you challenge our hearts? Would you soften our hearts? And help us to stop trying to manipulate you. But just to be with you. Help us not to miss the gift that you're offering this Christmas season. Help us to do life with you. And to stay in step with you. We love you, Jesus. In your face. Amen. Things have passed.
the shepherds, we have nothing to offer but just to be in your presence. We have no gift. We just want to acknowledge that we are in your presence. We just want to worship you. We love you, Jesus. To you, Francis. As we wrap up, if you need prayer for anything, I'd love to meet with you back at the green walls and pray with you. Just as we leave, let's just leave in an attitude of worship. The only conversation is happening in the hallway. If you're new here with us, we'd love to connect with you at the S services uh, right across the hall by the gingerbread house, by the way. Um, and so we have gift cards. We'd love to connect with you this way as well. Church, I hope you know this cheer that God loves you. And I love that. I love you. And so we follow him when we found him the best guest to offer for us. So let's go and be the church. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.